Well, good morning. Welcome to Word of Life Chapel this morning. We're so glad that you are here. Thank you all for that, that beautiful piece. Um, a couple of announcements to share with you this morning as we begin our service. First of all, the Christmas service is on, on Sunday, December 23rd, right? So it's not on the 25th. If you come on the 25th, you'll be by yourself uh, and cold because the doors will be locked. But Sunday, December 23rd, starting at 9.30 a.m., 9.30 a.m., there's no Sunday school that day. And then after our Christmas service is the Christmas Eve service on Monday, December 24th. That's going to begin at 6 p.m., 6 p.m., and there's going to be hot chocolate and Christmas cookies at 5.15, right? So if you like hot chocolate and Christmas cookies, please come a little early to enjoy those. In January 12th, there's going to be a showing of the DVD Jonah by Sight and Sound in the Fellowship Hall. There's also a sign-up sheet there. Would you pray with me as we begin our service this morning? Gracious God, we are so thankful for Christmas, for that silent night when the Savior came. Lord, we ask that you would, Father, just help us this morning to get away from distractions. May you clear our minds. Father, may we be able to focus on you and, and what you have for us. Lord, may we hear what you want us to hear. Father, may our hearts sing truth to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you take a moment to stand up, shake somebody's hand, tell them Merry Christmas, and welcome to Word of Life Chapel.
Well, good morning again. I invite you to take your hymn book now and turn with me to hymn number 107. Gentle Mary laid her child, 107. <clears throat> What child is this who he laid to rest? 105. <clears throat>
So let's pray. Father, we're thankful this morning that you have brought us to this time of year, this time in which we acknowledge that you, God, you have come into our world. God became flesh and he dwelt among us. Father, we thank you for the incarnation. We thank you that you have looked down upon mankind and you saw a need. You saw the wickedness and the evil, and you sent Jesus to come and rescue us, to save us from our sins. The angel said, you will name him Jesus, for he will come to save people from their sins. Father, we thank you that it is through Jesus that our sins are taken care of. They are removed as far as the east is from the west. They've been cast into the deep blue sea never to come up again. Father, we thank you that we can stand before you free of sin, free, Lord, of the evil, the wickedness. Oh, not that we're perfect, but Father, we've been cleansed with the blood of Jesus, and we stand before you with righteousness and holiness. So, Father, we do thank you for this time of year which we acknowledge your coming, your visitation to earth. Father, we know that for some, Christmas is not that joyous time. Lord, there are troubles in each family. There are difficulties in everyone's life. Father, some are plagued with illnesses and diseases. And Father, we pray for those. We bring them and lift them before you this morning. Father, some have lost loved ones, and this time of year, it's lonely. So we come before you, Lord, recognizing that. Not everyone is filled with the peace and the joy that, that you offer. And yet, Lord, there is a sense in which knowing you, knowing that we're in your family, knowing, Lord, that we are your children, knowing that we have that relationship. Father, there is that sense of peace and joy that the world cannot offer. And nothing can take that away. Lord, that's deep within our souls. So Lord, in spite of situations and circumstances, Lord, I pray this morning, would you, would you fill us with your spirit? Help us to rejoice in you. For Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Father, we're thankful that you've allowed us to come. Father, this is your time. This is your place. Father, it's good to be surrounded by those who know you and love you. So Lord, as we come before you once again with singing and then we hear from your word. Father, I pray that you would use our time to grow us up, to help us to mature, to help us to become more, more like Jesus, the very one who came into this world, the perfect Lamb of God. So draw us to yourself. Help us to be sensitive now to what you have to say, what you're going to do. Father, we didn't just come here to go away the same. 
We came here to leave different as a result of coming in contact with your word, with one another, with music. All of these things, Lord, help us to move a little bit closer to you. So draw us in this service to yourself. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. stand with us, but we, how we sing of the love incarnate, love divine, star and angels gave the sign. Love incarnate, love divine, star and angels gave the sign. Now to The Savior of humanity Unto us a child is born And he shall reign
children weep no more Hope is on the horizon Weary world, behold Your promised Messiah Your song begins. Christ is born in Bethlehem. Here comes heaven. Christmas story that the angel comes and speaks to the shepherds, right? The meek and lowly shepherds, the one that nobody wanted to be around. And the shepherds go and they find the baby Jesus. And, and, and what they had been told from the angels was true. They found him lying in a manger. 
I can't begin to imagine what the hearts of the shepherds must have been like. The joy that must have just flowed from their veins. The Bible says they went on to tell people all over about what they had heard. But first they went to baby Jesus to see if what they heard was true. I can only imagine that while they were there, they fell on their knees and worshiped. And sing, oh, come let us adore Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. For you alone are worthy. the glory, because all the glory is yours. You're the only one who deserves it. We'll give you speak through pastor bob may his words ring true into our hearts and souls and father may we hear exactly what you have for us today in jesus name we pray amen you may be seated it's hard to imagine christmas without music it's hard to imagine there would be no songs that announce the coming of jesus it's hard to imagine that there would be no Christmas carols in the month of December. But there are, and we love to sing them. But we go all the way back to the very first Christmas, and we discover that there were four songs that were sung, that were written. Last week, we looked at the song of Zechariah. Zechariah was the father of John the Baptist. And the angel Gabriel came to him and put a song in his heart when he learned that he and his wife would be the parents of a little boy. This morning we're going to listen to and look at the lyrics of the song of Mary. Let's set the scene before we look at the song. There was a young woman. She was betrothed to a man, not married, 
a teenager, an adolescent, and one day when she's going about her normal day, the angel Gabriel, same angel that visited Zechariah, Gabriel came to visit Mary to tell her that she will carry a little boy. She, of course, questioned that because she was a virgin. She had known no man. And so the angel tried to explain to her how this might happen. It was not a how of unbelief like the how that Zechariah asked. It was a how of how can this be since I know no man. Well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. He will overshadow you. And the power of God will bring about this birth. And he will be called the Son of God. And as you can imagine, a young teenage girl hearing those words from an angelic being, there must have been some confusion. There must have been some anxiety. There must have been some discomfort. Because the angel Gabriel then goes on to say to Mary, and even your relative Elizabeth is pregnant. Almost suggesting, <laughs> almost hinting, that maybe you ought to just go to her and find some comfort. Find someone who might understand a little bit of what you're going through. Mary, the Bible says, leaves very quickly to consult her godly relative. She lives out in the countryside. I suppose Mary went to not only confide in her, but to congratulate her. She knows now that Elizabeth is pregnant as well. It was probably also a good idea to just leave town for a while. Because an unwed mother would not be looked upon with favor. The ladies of the town would look at her as promiscuous. A young girl whose character has been ruined. Life for Mary will never, ever be the same. And so she takes the four-day journey to the countryside to visit her relative Elizabeth. She arrives at the house of Zechariah, and she greets Elizabeth. When Elizabeth hears those words, and when even her, her son John, who now is six months in her womb, when they hear the words of Mary, the Bible says that John, within the womb, leaps Gives a good hard kick. And the Holy Spirit fills Elizabeth. And Elizabeth knows that she is in the very presence of the mother of Messiah. What an event. What an experience this had to be. Now Elizabeth supernaturally has been enlightened. And she knows that her relative Mary, this young girl, is blessed 
of all women. So Elizabeth blesses Mary, almost yells with excitement. The Bible says she blessed Mary with a loud voice. And although Mary, she did believe the angel, I believe it was good for her to be affirmed by Elizabeth herself, this older woman that Mary was carrying a miracle baby. And Elizabeth acknowledges that Mary is most favored, that Mary is most blessed, that she is most fortunate, most honored among all the women on earth. And it's then that Mary, she bursts out in spontaneous, poetical, and profoundly theological music. And she sings this wonderful hymn of praise that we find in Luke chapter 1. Look with me, please, at Luke chapter 1. And let's look at the lyrics of Mary's song. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 46. And Mary said, My soul, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. These were the words of Mary. These are the lyrics of her song. After having been greeted by Elizabeth, been told by her that the angel is right, Elizabeth was enlightened by God's Spirit to affirm to Mary and to comfort her to know that these things will take place. So we begin this song looking at Mary's adoration, Mary's adoration in the first two verses. I said last week when we looked at Zachariah's song that these songs, and there are four of them, they are often referred to by a Latin word, the first word of the song. With Zechariah, the first word that came out of his lips was praise. The Latin word is benedictus. And we often refer to Zechariah's song as the benedictus. The first word out of Mary's lips was glorifies i know it's not that in the english bible but in the original language the first word coming out of her mouth was 
to glorify or to magnify. And the Latin word is magnificat. And thus this song is often referred to as that. So Mary glorifies the Lord. She, she magnifies his name. Well, what does that mean? To magnify means to declare great, to enlarge or increase in one's estimation. Mary's mind immediately turns from herself and now begins to focus on the Lord himself. Mary knew scripture, as we're going to see throughout this sermon. Mary knew the word of God in the Old Testament. Jewish children were taught the word of God. They would memorize it. They would meditate upon it. And Mary hid the word of God in her heart. She might have been thinking of the psalm in uh, Psalm 34, 3 that says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And Mary's first response was to magnify, was to glorify the Lord, to lift up his name. There's a book that's entitled Preaching to Yourself by Joe Thorne. And this is what he writes about oftentimes we create a little God and a small Jesus. And we don't understand really who God is, his magnificent, mag mag magnificent, you know the word I'm thinking of, <laughs> his sovereignty, his omnipotence. But Joe Thorne in this book, he says, take note, your view of Jesus it tends to shrink over time. And as your shrinking Jesus becomes a small Jesus, he is easily eclipsed by your idols and ego. The bigger and the more biblical your understanding of who Jesus is, the more likely he is to be the object of your love and adoration that the idols that aim at capturing your attention and swaying your allegiance, they begin to lose their power. Because a small Jesus does not inspire all. A small Jesus does not command respect. A small Jesus, it does not lead to worship. A small Jesus, we're not compelled to talk to him. So please remember, he goes on to say, Jesus is bigger than you tend to think. Mary had a big view of God. Mary saw an almighty God. And Mary, when she begins this song, she lifts up his name. She glorifies him. She increases him in her own estimation. That's what magnify and glorify means, to declare great. She declare, declared God to be great. As I said, Mary knew scripture. Ten times in these verses, Mary refers to Old Testament scripture. She obviously knew God. She obviously loved God's word. There's a story in the Old Testament, and it's the story of Hannah. 
You might know this story in 1 Samuel. And Hannah didn't have a son. She was barren herself. And she desired to have a little boy. And she cried out to God that God might grant her a son. And God does. God grants to Hannah a son. And Hannah said these words. My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. And many believe that Mary, as she opens her song, was referring to these very words. That she knew the story of Hannah. That she knew that Hannah rejoiced in the Lord when she was given a little boy. And now Mary says, my soul glorifies the Lord. She could identify with Hannah. She could identify with, with Hannah's joy, knowing that she too is going to have a son. But notice also how Mary sees herself after she lifts up the name of God. We read in verse 47, it says, My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of my humble state, the humble state of, my, of his servant. She refers to herself as humble. She refers to herself as a servant, as a bond slave. You see, the higher you lift up God, the lower you fall. The bigger your God is, the smaller you become in your own mind. We see that throughout Scripture. Isaiah, for example. The Bible says Isaiah was in the temple, and he, it was just after King Uzziah had died. And he looks, and there he sees in this vision the Lord himself sitting on a throne. His train fills the temple. And the angels, the seraph, they begin to sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is it's just filled with his glory. And Isaiah begins to see himself in the light of who God is. And it's Isaiah who says, I am, I am undone. I am ruined. I am a man with unclean lips. You see, the higher your God is, the bigger your God is, the smaller you are in your own estimation. Mary lifts up the name of God on high, and now she looks at herself as this humble peasant girl. This poor girl who she says, I am just a bond slave. A slave who is willing to do whatever her master says she is to do. Over in verse 38 of this same chapter, notice her words. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. In other words, you tell me what to do. You tell me who I am to be, and I will do it. I will be it. I'm, I'm, 
often amazed at this young girl Mary. Her knowledge of scripture, her knowledge of God, her, her, her surrender to the Lord himself. Now let me remind you of something because it's interesting that here in this opening song, her spirit rejoices. Let me remind you of her situation. Let me remind you of, of, of what Mary's life is like right now. She has just traveled four days over the countryside to get to the house of Zechariah. She's tired. She's confused. She's worn out. There's probably no one she knows, apart from Elizabeth, who really is going to understand that she is pregnant of the Holy Spirit. That she is a virgin and now is carrying a child. Who will understand that? Her marriage now has a dark cloud over it. How is Joseph going to respond to her situation? The relationship with her own family is rocky. The townspeople certainly will be unsympathetic. She's always going to be the gossip of other mothers, being an unwed mother. Her pure character has been ruined. Her life has been turned completely upside down. And yet she says, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. One of the things Mary teaches, one of the things we can learn at Christmas is that we can have joy in the Lord in spite of circumstances. There is a joy that God gives in spite of what we're going through. Paul says rejoice in the Lord always. If you haven't heard it before, let me say it again, Paul says. And again, I say rejoice. You see, the joy of Christmas is that we have a relationship with the Lord. Zachariah said in his song, God has come down to redeem his people. And Mary here refers to God as her own Savior. No, Mary wasn't perfect. Mary understood that she herself needed a Savior. The Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. That we too all need a Savior. We all need someone who can come and rescue us from our sins. To save us from our iniquity. God is holy, the Bible says. Mary actually says in verse 49, his name is holy. God has set a standard that we cannot keep. There was a truck commercial on TV uh, this week. I, I just kind of caught the very end of it. I don't even know the brand of truck, but it said something about this is a truck that, that sets the standard for all other trucks. Sets the bar. God has done that. God, the Bible says, is a holy, 
holy, holy God. And that's our standard of which no one can keep. And thus the Bible says we have all fallen short of God's glory, of his holiness. And falling short, we need salvation. We need to be rescued. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to save people from their sins, which is the greatest need of all mankind, is to have sins forgiven. And Mary says that God is my Savior. Everyone needs a Savior. And his name is Jesus. But notice also what Mary says about God. Notice the attributes that she includes in these lyrics. It's remarkable to me the knowledge that this young lady has of her Lord. First of all, she says in verse 48, he is mindful. He is mindful. That is, God is aware of my situation, of my circumstances. He's omniscient. He knows all. He sees all. His eye is on the sparrow, and he watches over me. Mary knew that she didn't deserve all this attention, the attention that, that God was giving to her. She knew who she was, and yet she knows also that God has looked down on her, that God actually sees me, that he is mindful of me. He is aware of all that I am going through. She also goes on to say in verse 49 that God is the mighty one. Holy is his name. Mighty, meaning all-powerful, meaning omnipotent, meaning nothing is impossible with God. I, I think of the verse over in um, 35, look at verse 35 where the angel comes to her and she has just asked, how can this be since I am a virgin? And then the angel Gabriel goes on to explain, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power, there's the idea of a mighty God, the, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So that there's a purpose that the Son of God would be born of a virgin, so that the Holy One, see, He wouldn't be holy with a human father, for sin comes through the man, so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. I think this four-day journey of Mary's to see Elizabeth, she had to be thinking through this. How in the world is this going to take place? But her knowledge of God is remarkable. And then in verse 50, speaks of God as merciful. His mercy extends to those who fear him. Mercy meaning God's faithful love toward those who deserve punishment. 
Someone said, if grace is getting what we don't deserve, mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Not getting what we do deserve. This young girl, pregnant and unmarried, in a culture where she could be stoned publicly, understands mercy. What a deep knowledge of God for such a young teenager. A God who is omniscient. A God who is all-powerful. A God who is holy. A God who is merciful. The attributes of God. But notice also God's actions as she closes this song. Mary moves from adoring God to the celebrating of his attributes. And now she lists three types of people that God acts on behalf of. Three types of people that God acts on behalf of. And we could summarize these three by saying they're the underdogs. Now I know some of you have your favorite teams. Um, I, I'm not one that has really a favorite team. If, you know, the Eagles or the Steelers or Penn State, so on I watch, but I, I'm not like some of you diehards. I'm not like the, the Tommies of the world who they live and breathe Eagles. I'm not like the Englishes who live and breathe Steelers. And I'm certainly not like the Dobbins and the Gunsers that live and breathe blue and white. I, I like to watch all these sports, but, you know, I don't lose sleep over someone who wins or loses. As a matter of fact, if I'm watching a team and I don't know who they are, I usually root for the underdog. I like to know the record, and I usually hope that the, the underdog will win and beat that team that's you know, has that 9-0 record. Did you know God is for the underdog? God is always for the underdog. And Mary speaks of that in these verses. She speaks about a complete reversal of human values and opinions in her song. Today, we honor the proud, we honor the mighty, the rich, the famous. They're viewed as the great ones. But in God's mind, it's the humble, it's the hungry, it's the helpless. God's values are not the values of the world. And with the coming of God's kingdom, it brings changes in every area of life. And so who are mentioned? Who are these that God acts on behalf of? Well, in verse 52, it says he brings down the rulers... Get them off their thrones, but he lifts up the humble. God is a lover of the lowly. He has always been on the side of the underdog. The Bible says God hates the proud and he hates the haughty. Today, the world focuses on beauty, bucks, and brains. Not so with God. We read back in the book of Isaiah, chapter 66. God says this, 
This is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. In Proverbs chapter 3, he mocks proud mockers, but he gives grace to the humble. James speaks of the exaltation of the humble, the bringing down of the proud. Who else does God act on their behalf? It's the hungry in verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he sent the rich away empty. You know, before you can be fed, you must be hungry. I, I still can recall, and I often do when we have our Awana meal, you know, the incident several years ago when uh, we were back in the kitchen and one of these little uh, Awana children, one of the little girl, uh, she comes back into the kitchen and she sees, and I forget what she saw, a cookie or an open bag of chips or something, and she said, can I have one of those? I'm hungry and I didn't have any supper. Well, we feed now our Awana clubbers. We feed their bellies good. And then we feed them the word of God. But you know, this verse doesn't necessarily speak of that kind of hunger. The NIV study Bible says it could refer both to the physical, yes, but also to the spiritual. The Bible says that we as God's children, we should be hungry for God. That we should be hungry for God. And the word hungry is not just a little rumble of the tummy. It's not just a little growling in there. This word hungry means to be famished or to crave. In Psalm 63 and verse 1, we have this verse. You, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being, it longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. The longing for, the hunger for, the thirst for God. I wonder sometimes if I have that real hunger and thirst and longing for God himself. Or is this something that is a rare thing in Christian circles. And why is that? Maybe it's because we, we fill ourselves with other things. We fill our lives with, with the pleasures of this world. We fill our lives with all of these things that the world has to offer, and then we have no need for God. I have no need to seek God and long for Him. <coughs> You know, one of the worst things that anyone can do is to say to God, you know, God, I got this. I got this. <clears throat> I, don't, I don't really need you. <coughs> it's probably one of the highest forms of pride to think that we don't need God. The Bible says in Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. 
Maybe some of us, we haven't tasted because we have filled our lives with so many other things. We just don't have that appetite, that hunger for God himself. Mary goes on to speak of the helpless in verse 54. He has helped <coughs> his servant Israel. God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps those who are helpless. To help means to embrace, to hug, to support, to come alongside of. This is how God treats us when we're helpless. He comes alongside of us to help. He, he's there to support us. When we recognize our weaknesses, when we acknowledge that our circumstances, they're completely out of control, when we understand that I just can't with my own hands figure these things out, when we can't do anything to change the situation, when we come before God and say, God, I can't do this, I can't handle this, I need you. That's music to the ears of God. When we come being completely dependent upon an almighty God, and we say, God, I can't, but you can. That's when God comes to our aid. I heard a testimony recently of someone who said just that. I was like at the end of myself. And that's when God came and met my need. When we come before God and say, God, I can't. I need you. It's the helpless who God acts on their behalf. God's, he's always on the side of the underdog. He's always on the side of the, the, the hurting, the humble, the hungry, the helpless. God cares for those who can't care for themselves. So at Christmas, God came down. At Christmas, God came down, and according to Zechariah, to help, to bring aid. One thing you can't do, you can't say, I got this, God. One thing you can't do, and that's you can't save yourself. Your sins can only be forgiven by God himself because of the blood of Jesus Christ. You might claim to do some other things, but you cannot. You cannot save yourself. Mary could not save herself. God, my Savior. Can you call God this morning your Savior? Can you say that? Can you say, I know that I have trusted in Jesus Christ, and he is my Savior. You see, in order to recognize and acknowledge that Jesus is a Savior, you first have to recognize your need. That all have fallen short. I said earlier that God sets the standard. He sets the bar. And we have fallen short of that standard. We're to strive toward that bar. The command is be holy. Be holy as I am holy. But we fall short. And thus the need. The need to have those sins that we have committed forgiven and so first of all to come before God and say I trust your son 
we need to recognize our own need. That we have fallen short, far short of God's holiness. And then we receive and believe. I always like John chapter 1 and verse 12. Yet to all who did receive. You know, this follows on the heels of the verse that says Jesus came to his own and his own, they did not receive him. And that happened, right? Jesus, when he came into the world and he came to the Jewish folks, they rejected him. And yet, the verse goes on, to all who do receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. I trust this morning that you're able to call Jesus Christ your Savior, that you know personally that you have put your faith in him and him alone to save you from your sins. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round young virgin, mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in heavenly peace. Hymn number 117, Let's stand, we'll sing all three stanzas, and we'll be dismissed.
Father, we thank you for the love that brought your Son into this world. Father, we thank you for the salvation which comes with that love. And I pray, Lord, that each one here knows and is assured that they are part of your family, that their sins are forgiven, that they know you in a very personal way, and they can say as Mary that you are their Savior, that their sins are taken away. Father, they are yours forever. Continue to work, Lord, through your word. Father, the Spirit doesn't stop working just in a service like this. Continue to work in our hearts. Bring us to where we need to be and who we need to be. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you feel? 